scripture readings is John chapter 25, um, which is true, but I'd like to invite you to first to one of the Old Testament passages. I think it will be beneficial to read some of the uh, background, Old Testament background passages. I'd like to invite you to open your Bible, if you, if you have one, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 16 first. Deuteronomy 16, we'll be reading from verse 13, which is about the Feast of Tabernacle. The Feast of Tabernacles, verse 13. Celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days after you have gathered the produce of your threshing floor and your wine pressed. Be joyful at your feast. You, your son and daughters, your manservants and the maidservants and the Levites, the aliens, I'm going to pause here, the alien means um, the foreigners, not the aliens, just in case children may be confused, aliens, the foreigners, uh, the fatherless, which means orphans, the widows who live in your towns. For seven days, celebrate the feast of the Lord your God at the place the Lord will choose, which is Jerusalem. For the Lord your God will bless you in all your harvest and in all your work of your hands and your joy will be complete. Three times a year, all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose. At the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles, no man should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. And you will understand while I ask you to open you to, um, that passage. If you look at John chapter 6, sorry, chapter 7. We'll read from verse 25. And there was a discussion about the origin of Christ. At that point, some of the people in Jerusalem began to ask, Is, Isn't this the man who they are trying to kill? Here he is speaking publicly, and they are not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Christ? But we know where this man is from. When the Christ comes, no one will know where he is from. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me and you know where I am from. I am here on my own. I, I'm not here on my own, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him because I am from him and he sent he sent me. At this, they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his time had not yet come. Still many in the crowd put their faith in him. They said, when the Christ comes, will he do more miraculous signs than this man? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent the temple guards to arrest him. Jesus said, I am with you for only a short time. And then I go to the one who sent me. 
you will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Will he go there where our people live scattered among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What did he mean when he said, You will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. On the last day, and this is our passage for this morning, on the last day and the greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from with him, within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not, had been, had not been glorified. So far, reading of the Holy uh, Scripture. I'd like to ask you to um, let's, uh, come together and then sing as for the preparation of listening to the sermon. Sing from Psalm um, 78, 9, and 11. Verse 7, verses 37 to 39. I'll read that, those verses once again. On the last day and the greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, If anyone... If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text begins in verse 37. It says, begins by saying, on the last day, last and greatest day of the feast. So what feast is this? So it is clear from the context Uh, at the beginning of chapter 7. It is the Feast of Tabernacles. There were three major festivals in the Old Testament that every man was obliged. They had to go down to Jerusalem, the city they got, will choose, that is the city of David, Jerusalem. So every man had to go to celebrate the festivals. There were three of them. And then first is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, as known as the Passover. The second one is, according to Deuteronomy 16, Feast of Weeks. And then third one, the which our passage is talking about is the Feast of Tabernacles. 
So it was the last day of Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles would last seven days, seven days, whole week. They would celebrate, and they would celebrate on the 15th day of the seventh month. So uh, July 15th, that, that is not correct, because there they had a different calendar. They had a lunar calendar. So in the Jewish calendar, seventh month, 15th, 15th day, they would celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles for whole week. The Feast of Tabernacles was designed, was given by the Lord as a commemoration, as a reminder of the people of Israel, the covenant people. Reminder of what? Reminder of Exodus, how the Lord miraculously took his people, delivered them from the slavery of Pharaoh, which represents Satan. Actually, there are two festivals um, given as a commemoration of Exodus. One is the Passover, and the other one is Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles is a little bit different. The Passover, how do you celebrate the Passover? You celebrate them by eating the Passover lamb, unleavened bread, and bitter herbs, and so on. Whereas during the Feast of Tabernacle, the, the way you celebrate is very different. You, what you do, first thing, that you have to live in a tent outside in a tent for a whole week. So why? Because that's what the people of Israel did in the wilderness. They lived in the tent. So you can imagine the father, for instance, let's say there is a father, a family, a father in a Capernaum, in the Galilee, packing up because, because he's about to go down to Jerusalem. This time he will bring a couple of his kids and then he's packing up animals. They have to sacrifice animals and they have a drink offerings. And he, most of all, he had to pack up a tent. And his children ask, Dad, what are you doing? Why do you have to take a tent and also animals to Jerusalem? And the father would use this opportunity and then he would quote from either Deuteronomy 16 or Leviticus 23. That's another passage. Well, he would say something like this. Well, this is the reminder of Exodus, the how our Lord has Israelites to live in a tent as a temporary shelter when he brought us from the slavery of Egypt, Leviticus 23:43. And as they lived in a tent, they had to live in the whole week, as I said, in Jerusalem, outside of Jerusalem, perhaps. And then ch some children, maybe a couple days, it was exciting, but a few days later, you know, that's what happens when you go camping. Children may complain, say something like, Dad, I, it was fun for a while, but I would like to go back. You know, it's not really comfortable. It's not the same as living in a house. It's hard to get a food. It's hard to cook. It's not really convenient to live here. Then the father would use this opportunity to explain the whole point of this festival. 
he would say something like this. My son, you know, that's exactly what our forefathers said. They also complained something like, well, this is not really convenient. This is not really comfortable. Why do we have to live in a tent in the wilderness? Can God prepare a table in the wilderness? We just sang from Psalm 78. Behold, he struck the rock so that the water gushed out. You see, my son, whole point is this festival is about giving thanks to the Lord. That's what Deuteronomy 16 says. Be joyful. Be joyful. The Lord is with you. As you live in the tabernacle, in the camping, 12 tribes camped around the tabernacle, which had the Ark of the Covenant. The Lord is with you. And also be joyful. We should be always joyful because God continues to be with us, within us. He dwells in us. He's the Spirit. And He continues to guide us as our spiritual exodus is still happening. See? This fest festival, although we don't really keep the festival of tabernacle or, or um, Passover because of Christ to fulfill them, yet still the fundamental principle behind the festival still continues. You see, our life is also like the going through the wilderness. It's a spiritual exodus, exodus from our, away from our sin. And as we are heading toward the promised land, which is heaven, we still have to live in this temporary, temporary shelter, a tent made of our flesh. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. If earthly tent we live is destroyed, we have a building from God, eternal house in heaven. While we live on the, in this tent, we have many troubles. We have arthritis. We have a cataract. We have a cancer. We groan when we are burdened. Yet the Lord still is with us. As we are on this journey in our tent made of flesh, we are still called to trust in the Lord and also, most of all, be joyful knowing that our Heavenly Father will be with us. So in that context, in the historical context, in the immediate context, and this is the key passage, this is the passage of the sermon, on the last day of that festival, Feast of Tabernacle, when the people lived in a tent on the last day, Jesus was teaching in the temple courts and he stood up, which is worthy of our attention, he stood up, and he proclaimed a very important message. And here are theme and points. He cried out, and the message is this. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. He said these words in the perfect timing and perfect location. We'll look at the second point. He gave this promise publicly at yet, and the third point only those who are truly thirsty, only those who tru are 
truly thirst and believe in him will actually receive the benefits. So our text, on the last day and the greatest day of the feast, he stood up, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. There's a good reason why the Holy Spirit, Apostle John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote in this way, mentioning first the timing, and also we look at the location as well. On the last and the greatest day, at the temple courts, in the temple courts, he shouted in a loud voice, Come to me and have a drink. So why is this perfect timing? Well, take a look at what he said. If anyone thirsty, let him come to me. This statement fits very well within the historical background of the Feast of Tabernacle. Why? Because the Lord, he guided, he led his people Throughout wilderness, what is wilderness? Well, it is very dry land, scorching desert. And then what did the Lord do? He led them, providing them food and water. The people, however, complained a lot. Oh, Moses, you led us so that we may die here. We should have not left at all. At least when we were in Egypt, we could have, we could have had something like cucumbers and watermelons and plenty of water. They complained a lot. Yet, nevertheless, the Lord was still gracious to them and gave them water and food. Another reason why this is the perfect timing of the statement, if anyone thirsty, let him come to me, that perfect timing has something to do with the Jewish practice on the last and the greatest day of the festival. So what, did, what was happening on the last day? Well, let me tell you what happened. There was a special ceremony by the priests so priests, they would come down from the temple. I'm talking about the last day of the festival. Okay? They would come down from Jerusalem, and they were singing, and with the music, and some people probably were dancing. I don't know if the priests were dancing. And they, would, they were heading towards to a pool called Siloam. A pool of Siloam. And he, they, they would come down. They would draw water with a golden pitch or vessel. And then what do they do? Well, they carry the water and they would all march back to Jerusalem and the people watched the high priest and then when he arrived to the temple, he would, would go around the altar with the water and then temple choir would sing from the Hallel song. The Hallel song is from Psalm 113 to 118. And then those are the songs that the Jews traditionally sang during the Passover, commemorating Exodus. 
So when the choir sang the songs, every male pilgrims, they were shaking branches. That's in uh, according to Leviticus 23. You will have uh, palm branches, willow branches, and you celebrate, rejoice in the Lord during the festival of tabernacles. So they would wave their branches. They would say something like, give thanks to the Lord three times. And then the priest would pour water on the altar and also they would pour wine as well. Interesting, isn't it? A wine, which later the Lord uses in the Lord's Supper. Wine as a symbol of his, his blood. So uh, you can read all about that in Leviticus 23, something about drink offering. Now, why wine? Well, Numbers 28, 7 talks about that. Talks about the drinking offering, including fermented drink. So there was that practice of pouring water on the last day of the feast. Now, this practice is not something that they invented simply because it looks cool or simply because it was entertaining. No, that was not the reason. It has something to do with prophetic message in the Old Testament. Because the Psalm of the Old Testament clearly equates water with the festival of tabernacles. I'll give you one. For instance, Zechariah 14, 16. The Lord commands his people, sorry, the Lord, he commands the people on the earth, all the people's Gentiles, all the Gentiles to participate. He's talking about the future glory. The Gentile will, Gentiles will participate the festival of tabernacles. It's a very interesting statement in Zechariah 14 that the Egyptians, that's interesting, isn't it? The Egyptians, they are probably the number one group of people who are uh, grumpy about the Feast of Tabernacle because their slaves went away. But the Lord said, if the Egyptians do not go up to Jerusalem to partake the festival, they will have no rain. Huh, it's interesting, isn't it? The Lord will not give them water. Isaiah 12, verse 3, which the priest uh, made a reference while they're pouring water. We know that from tradition. Isaiah 12, verse 3 says, With joy you will draw water from the well of salvation. Perhaps that's what they were saying when they were drawing water from the pool of Siloam, which is very Interesting, Isaiah 12, verse 3, the key passage, begins with, with joy, Deuteronomy 16, be joyful during the Feast of Tabernacles, be joyful, Isaiah says, with joy, joy you will draw water from the well of salvation. The priest would say those words, And then they would draw water from the pool of Siloam. Is the pool of Siloam the well of salvation? No. But there's a connection there. It's very, very interesting. If you know what Siloam meant. The pool of Siloam is mentioned two chapters later, if you can find it. Usually that's what I do in the catechism class. If you can find a passage, you can you get extra credit. So chapter nine, 
verse 7. Chapter 9, the context. Um, healing of a blind man, man born blind. And what Jesus did was he spit on the ground, made a mud with his saliva, and put it on the blind man's eyes. And he said, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. Verse 7. Verse chapter 9. Verse 7. Here it is. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. And then, if you see the bracket, this word means sent. Sent. So the word Siloam means, came from Hebrew word shala, which means to send. Sent. That little explanation of the word is very helpful, especially within the immediate context, because Christ chose this pool intentionally because of the theological significance of the name Siloam. Intriguing question after this name, or meaning of the name, who was sent by the Father to wash away your sin? Before this miracle in chapter 9, also his statement, which we read in chapter 7, that he is the living water, he was sent by the Father. There has been an endless debate between Christ and the Jews. And what was the debate about? It's about origin. We do not know where he came from, they said. And how come he has this so much knowledge to teach people? Where is he? What is his origin? Where did he come from? We do not know, the Jews said in chapter 9, 29. If they knew, they wouldn't have known Jesus and his father, chapter 8, verse 19. But they ended up rejecting Christ, which continues in chapter 9. Whereas Jesus said, He is, I am from the Father. Father sent me. We read that in our passage, did we not? The theme of Jesus was sent by the Father. That is one of the major themes in the Gospel of John. Chapter 7, verse 28. Yes, you know and you know where I am from. I am not here on my own, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him because I am from him. And he sent me. So that name, Siloam, carries a very significant theological message. Who is sent by the Father? The living water? That your uncleanness, your sin can be washed? Not that you physically have to go to Siloam. You have to know what Siloam represents. The Siloam represents Christ. He was sent by the Father. So, knowing this, let's go back to our passage. It's very rich if you know the context. So put yourselves in the shoes of those people who watched the whole ceremony in Jerusalem. On the last and the greatest day of the festival, priests went down to draw water from the pool of Siloam, and they're coming back to the temple. And here there's a, a teacher called Jesus from 
Galilee, from up north, and they all saw the priest drawing water and pouring water on the altar. And as they recited, with the joyal, you will draw water from the well of salvation. And here is, it is Christ. He went to the temple courts, taught publicly, and he said, Anyone who is thirsty, let him come to me. Very perfect timing and perfect location. He made it very clear that all these Old Testament rituals and practices and symbols pointing towards him. He is the well of salvation. Let's go to the second point. He proclaimed this publicly. So our passage says he stood up. We should not underestimate this expression because this was not a normal practice at the time. The rabbis, they usually, when they taught, they sat down and the people gathered around him. But in this verse, it says he stood up. So we can guess that he was sitting before. So he stood up. Why? Because what he's about to say is incredibly significant. What he's about to teach, what he's about to give, was the highlight of his teaching. He's been teaching, and the last day he is about to give the highlight of his teaching the climax of the Feast of Tabernacle. And what is the message? Very simple. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. As I said in the first point, he couldn't have chosen a better timing and a better location was probably very graphic for the audience to see that. But wait a minute. The message. What does that mean when he said, let him come to me and drink? And he explains right away in the next verse. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, Streams of living water will flow from within him. So in the Hebrew language or Hebrew culture, we call it parallelism. So if you don't understand the first line, then especially in wisdom literature like Proverbs and Psalms, if you do not understand first line, you go to the next line as a parallelism. Sometimes they, they contrast, sometimes they, the second line can helps the audience or reader to understand the first line. The letter is true here. The, Let him come to me to drink. The drinking is a figurative speech. It is the same thing as believing. Reminding us, it reminds us of John chapter 4 or 14, the discourse between the Samaritan woman and Christ. Whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. 
Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And he explains, John explains this text in our text. By this he meant, the water meant spirit. The spirit comes in us and give us eternal life. But you have to believe. Spirit is given to whom those who believe in him. So the message is very simple. Those two uh, verses. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you will receive something, and he calls that living water, which will become streams of water within you. It will not go away. Just if you drink this water, I'll be thirsty again. But if you drink the water that Jesus gives, you will never be thirsty again. Can you imagine if you receive something that, and then that something will stay within you and it will last forever? As I said, if you drink any water, you'll be thirsty again. If you eat anything, You'll be hungry again. But the water Jesus gives will become a fountain in that person and you will never get thirsty again. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 4. Now apply the message uh, with what John said in verse 39. By this he meant the Spirit. Those who believe in Him, the Spirit will be given. The Spirit will dwell in that person and He will never go away. He will dwell in you and you will be the fountain of, there will be the fountain within you, precisely speaking, welling up the fruits of the Holy Spirit. There is a difference between people who believes, who has the Holy Spirit within them, versus people who do not believe. The lifestyle is, and supposedly, and supposed to be, radically different. Because those who believe, they have a spirit. They have a streams of water welling up, producing good fruits of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, and so on. You see, there are people who seem to show positive energy and joy and happiness, and they do so endlessly. There are some people that you like to be friends, to be friends with. It seems like there's endless joy coming out of that person. Even in the time of losing a loved one, even in the time of economic depression. On the other hand, there are people, seems like there are people who express their misery and grief and complain endlessly. 
Of course, perhaps I should summarize in this way. All men corrupted in sin and by sin is a fountain of evil. Jesus said something like that in Matthew 15, verse 19. Out of, out of heart comes all the evil thoughts. Mole, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defiles men. What comes into your mouth doesn't defile you, but what comes out of your heart, all those evil things, those are the ones that defile you. You are, in other words, you are the fountain of all evil. All of us. All of us. John Calvin said this famous saying that we are the factory of idols, endless factory of idols. Idols just manufactured from, manufactured from our hearts. But here's the thing. But you, brothers and sisters, you who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells in you, and you are different. You should be different. You or f- your fruit will never betray you. Love, peace, joy, patience. The people of Israel in the desert, they complained. Why? Because their heart consistent, consistently produced evil thoughts, complaints, and grumblings. But you should be different. Because Holy Spirit dwells in you. Out of your heart, good things should and must flow. So in the Old Testament, there's a good reason why, as, as the Lord instituted this festival, and he said, be joyful in Deuteronomy 16. Be joyful during the whole seven days. And that they were celebrating with the palm branches. And interesting enough, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, they were also shaking palm branches. Because theologically speaking, he is the fulfillment of all those festivals. So that's what the Lord said in the Old Testament. Celebrate and be joyful the whole week of the festival. But now in the New Testament, notice what the Apostle Paul says. Be joyful always. Not only during the festival, during the festival because we don't keep the festival anymore. Because the Lord fulfilled the meaning of the festival. Now we are living in the fulfillment, the day, the era of a fulfillment of Christ. And then Paul says, rejoice, not only during the festival, not that we have, but always. Philippians 4, verse 4. And the Holy Spirit, who dwells in you, enables you to rejoice. Even at the, even at, at the funeral, the believer's funeral looks very different the funeral of unbelievers. There is a joy. So here's a something that we can take home with. Ask yourselves a question, brothers and sisters. I'll do the same. Is my heart flowing with the living water, with joy? What does that look like to have that overflowing living water? 
In my spiritual journey in this wilderness, I know life is filled with many hardships. Nevertheless, the Lord commands us to be joyful. Do I produce the fruits of the Holy Spirit? Or do I complain? Let us not underestimate what Christ said. Streams of living water will flow within them. So it means it means will flow, overflow within, from within you. Which means it doesn't stay within yourself. It doesn't stay in this congregation. It will flow. The Lord who is the fountain of all good, He gives you abundantly all the gifts that it should have impact. Not only you on you, not only on the congregation, but also outside of the congregation, this community, this providence, province, also the whole nation. His blessing will overflow. The people who see you loving each other Having loving family, husband, love your wives. Wives, submit to your own husbands in this broken society when the society sees the true value of, Christian value of family. I'm just giving you one example. I can give you other examples. Kids doing stupid things, doing drugs and smoking funny things, whereas they look at Christian parents and Christian kids and say, they look different. Why? We know the reason. Because we have the overflowing blessing of the fountain. They will see you, Jesus said. They will see you loving each other and they will know that you belong to me. John chapter 13, 35. So this blessing should not stay within us but also should have an impact on others as well. Let's go to the final point. Come to the last point of the sermon. Jesus stood up and cried in a loud voice. And notice he didn't say, come anyone. Um, There is a condition there. He said, anyone who is thirsty. If anyone is thirsty. If. This reminds us of the previous story in John chapter 4, Samaritan woman. For her to receive the living water, she didn't just receive automatically just by talking to Christ. But first, she had to recognize her current state. She had to genuinely, so to speak, feel thirsty. That's why Jesus confronted her for having multiple husbands. He had, she had, uh, had five husbands now living with another one. And Jesus confronts her, bring your husband. So our confession, the Canos of Door touches on that, that, that aspect I'm going to explain just um, right now. The Canos of Door, chapter 4, article 5 
says the promise of the gospel ought to be announced and proclaimed universally and without discrimination, which means just it's proclaimed universally. But listen to this. But however, not everyone ends up coming to Christ. That's in the next article of chapter 2, article 6 and 7. Not everyone benefits from the message. Then who benefits from this message? Well, answer is in what Christ said. If anyone is thirsty, only those who truly feel thirst, emphasis on the word, thirsty. I mean, everyone, technically, everyone is thirsty, should be thirsty. But interestingly, not everyone acknowledges that. Everyone who committed sin, everyone does, needs a Savior, but not everyone acknowledges that fact. And if you do not see the need, and if you're not desperate, which was the case of the Pharisees and um, the Jewish leaders who tried to persecute Christ, in other words, if you're not truly thirsty, then there's no reason for you to believe Jesus Christ. So being thirsty, that's the first step. So you want to have this welling of living water and have a good influence on you and your family and everyone, the first step. I mean, the answer is you have to believe in Jesus Christ. That's the main message of this passage. But the first step is you have to be thirsty. Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and shall be filled. And even before, before Jesus was born, about him, there was, a, there was a, so to speak, prophecy. Mary, the mother of Jesus, he, when she found out that she was with a child by the power of the Holy Spirit, she wrote a song called the Song of Mary. It's in the Luke's Gospel. The song describes the Messiah's ministry. And interestingly, she said, he has filled the hungry with the good things and has sent the rich away empty. Luke chapter 1, 53. The hungry, those who feel truly hungry, they will be filled. On the contrast, the rich will be sent away empty. Does not mean that all the rich people should go to should be excluded. That's not what it means. You have to see the deeper meaning. Those who do not feel the guilt, emptiness, a thirst for deliverance because they, are, they, feel, they think they are rich, they will be excluded. But those who are humble and truly feel the need, that is the first step of believing in Jesus Christ. Isn't that true? You first have to know your sin and misery. That's what Catechism says. How do you enjoy the comfort of the gospel? You have to feel, 
you have to know your sin and misery. And those who truly are thirsty, as Isaiah said, Isaiah said, I'm going to wrap up this sermon with the quotation from Isaiah 55. Come, all who you are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat, come buy milk and wine and milk without money and without cost, because he is willing to give for free. Let us rely on the Lord Jesus Christ with humility. Amen.